0: that you're having uh, the beautiful weather we are out here in Anatos. When I look at uh, history and, and, and working where I've been working and uh, getting conversation with some of the people, um, they talk about uh, mankind setting up Utopia. <laughs> I don't think that's possible, but there are people throughout history have, have strived toward bringing in utopia. I can remember back during the Second World War. I'm that old. I can remember that one of the aspects of Adolf Hitler was to create a thousand-year reign of the uh, blonde, blue-eyed special treated individuals, but we see that that never worked out. Uh, Before that, there have been kings uh, in the past in the Scriptures who have wanted to rule the world, and that never worked out. And today, we still have people who want to set up God's kingdom based on their individual understanding. And will that work? Can it work? Is it possible for a human being to establish a utopia? Without God's help, that is. Maybe based on their understanding, or their studying, or their knowledge, you know, and and their desires, and their finances, and all these things. Can it be possible that men can set up and establish Utopia, or I think another word for utopia is Zion. Can't do it. Let's turn to Romans 1, and I'm going to read this from the New King James Version and see what really God has to think about man ruling Let's start in verse 18. Romans 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. God looks down here at society today and says He doesn't care for their actions because they are ungodly and they're unrighteous. I mean, you wouldn't think it our government would be unrighteous, would you? I would I can look back at Waco and tell it <laughs> there was a group of people wanting to develop a you know kind of a, a small utopian society. it bucked the government, and our government sent men who do not have any moral or concerned about human life and assassinated men, women, and children because the government told them to. The government said, that's okay. They're not going your way. They're not going our way, rather. So we get rid of them. Make it easier on us. But God says, He's revealed these people are unrighteous. Verse 19, because what may be known of God, is manifested in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. I thought many times of David when I was writing this up. You know, David took care of his sheep, didn't he? He was out there in the pasture lands. David studied the stars. David could understand the Godhead ability. Now, I thought about this too. You look out here through our most powerful telescopes and we see uh, nebulae or we see uh, galaxies. And then we can look at our solar system. And see the sun and the stars going around, I mean the planets going around our star. And then we can look down at an atom. And how much difference is there? In an atom you have, in the center of an atom you have protons and neutrons. With electrons going around the outside. Sort of like the sun and the planets going around it, isn't it? Or like the galaxy and all these stars with whatever tied to them around whatever is in the center. David could look at that. He studied the stars. And he understood the Godhead. And that's why, through all of his studying, and God could look down at a man and say, This is a man after my heart. Because David learned of his Creator. Remember when David came out to Goliath? David said, you come to me as a man with armorment and all this. He said, I come to you in the name of the living God. Who won? Certainly not the big man. No, God did. Verse 21, Because although they knew God... And we know in this government, scientists, mathematicians, uh, financial people, teachers, professors, they know of God. Preachers, priests, they know of God, don't they? Because although they knew God, or knew of God, they did not glorify Him as God. And that becomes a problem with mankind trying to set up utopia. They know of God. But they don't give God the glory and the power and the majesty that He has. David did. David understood those things. Nor were they thankful. And they're not thankful for what God gives to them. I'm, not, I'm talking generality because I know there are individuals that can do this. But for the most part, generally speaking, people do not thank God for what they have. Just not thankful enough. And I know, because I say in particular of a man I knew, that thanked God for everything he gave him. But generally speaking, even us... In the church of God, whatever organization we're in or whatever things we do, do not really give God the thanks. I mean the in-depth thanks for what we have. But become futile in their thoughts. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Because we do wasted thoughts. We put our thoughts and actions on things that are not what's important. What's important is who God is. And we've had sermons, a great number of them, haven't we, teaching us to give the glory to God and to really be thankful for what He gives us. These people in society and mankind in general profess to be wise, don't they? They profess their wisdom based on their knowledge and understanding and all their studies. And they're pretty pretty intelligent people out here when you think it mankind can create a craft that will leave this planet and go to the moon and back they are pretty intelligent. When man can take and develop equipment that they can actually see an atom it's pretty intelligent aren't they? They profess to be wise in the end though they will be foolish and change the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made into like corruptible men. That is everywhere. When we make for ourselves and say the laws of God are not from God, but they are man-made. And if that's the case... Like I told my wife the other day, why are we here? Why aren't we back where our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren are? Because we have in our heart and we believe in God's Word, like was pointed out, this is truth, mankind are wise, but they've changed God into something corruptible, some images, some thoughts, some ideas, and we can take what one man says and say, that's solid, and this other man is not solid. We can say what a man wrote, but God's Word's not, because it's corrupted. It's only corrupted because we don't want to believe God. We don't want to follow His direction. We want to find our own way and create our own utopia. Without God. And so we've created or changed our Maker, the incorruptible God, into some corruptible thing like a man, a cow, a bird, some animal. It's like Isaiah said they go out and cut a tree down. They use a bit of the tree to cook their food, they use another part of that tree to build a house. And then they make a statue out of it and say, okay, this statue help me. It's, it's crazy. Because they can't grasp the fact I want to give God the, the knowledge and the glory that we should give to Him. Jeremiah six. Mankind trying to establish Utopia cannot do it. God tells us why. Jeremiah 6, verse 13. For from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. That's a tendency with human nature. Generally speaking, with mankind, we are covetous. We want more and more. The word covetous is a strong desire after possessions of worldly things. We have this great burning desire to obtain worldly things. And so we covet that. And if it's a human being trying to set up utopia, sure, I want to be the ruler of the world. You think that that doesn't come out? Whatever king that you read in the Scriptures, whatever king you find in history, had the same idea. I want to be number one. Where'd that start? It started a long time back, didn't it? Before mankind, really. It started back when God created a being, gave that being beauty and knowledge and wisdom, And everything, who decided, after who knows how long, that that wasn't good enough. I want to be the Creator. I want to be number one. So it started back when Halel went across, as Daryl pointed out many years ago, As Haleel crossed that sea of glass and could see himself and see his beauty and all these things and got to thinking about that. That's what human beings do too, don't they? They think of, well, I'm not a bad looking guy. I'm not an unintelligent person. I've got all this talent and all this stuff. I want to be number one. So it started back a long time before mankind. And covetousness was a problem that Halel had. He coveted what God had. And it was something he couldn't have. In Ephesians 5, we'll go back to Jeremiah here in a moment. Ephesians 5, 5 tells us, For this we know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and the Father. You get that? If you covet something, as Halal did, as mankind has through history, God says you are an idolater. And no idolater can ever be a part of God's kingdom. He's already put up with that. Let no man deceive you, verse 6, with vain words. For because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. God's going to bring His wrath on mankind. I was told this past week that a loving God would not kill millions or billions of people. Why wouldn't He? Would He want them to stay around and be covetous? Be idolaters setting up their own things, wanting to rule instead of Him? I think the person said this doesn't really know God, doesn't understand what God has got in mind. So he tells us there in verse 6 not to let men deceive you. Men can steal your dream. We all ought to have a dream of the kingdom of God. We all had a picture like Abraham did. He looked forward to a city not built by human beings, but by God. Is that what your vision is? Do you see that? There are dream stealers out there. People that have a lot of moxie, if you want to call it, or force, that can twist and turn you and cause you to fall short of that dream that you should have of being a part of the kingdom of God. And so God tells us there through Paul, a servant, not to let yourself be deceived by vain words. And a lot of times it's vanity that causes these people because I have got the knowledge more than you do. I am better than you are. Well, I look out there and I say, I see every human being having the same problem. We all have to breathe air. We all have to eat food. We all have to get rid of the waste. And we all put our clothes on, our pants on, or whatever, one leg at a time. And we all are going to die. So vain words sometimes that you can't prove can destroy your vision of what God has in it. So He tells us, don't let that happen. For become uh, vain words. For because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. God is going to bring destruction. He tells you right there. Be not you, therefore, partakers with them. Don't get involved in those things because they cannot give you eternal life. No matter what they might say or how much knowledge. As you pointed out in the sermonette, it is your responsibility, not another person's, to prove God's Word. It is your responsibility to study And you can have teachers that are knowledgeable. And I find in my short life that most of the people that go to college come out are backing what the professor told them. And you find out in school, if you challenge what the professor has to say or a teacher, you probably find yourself on the outside. It happens in the church too, brethren. It'll happen here in the church. If in most of God's church, wherever they are, if you challenge the speaker, the, print, the, my, uh, the uh, teacher, you probably find yourself on the outside. Now, I've found that our pastor might get frustrated with you for a little bit, but he will take the challenge and study those things. And if there's something new, And something he doesn't understand, he spends the time. But I've been there. I've been down that road like many of you. If you challenge and you see it proved in the Scripture different, you'll be put outside. So, don't let anybody steal your dream. (laughs) Your dream of being a part of the family of God. Being there in the city. For you were sometimes in darkness. No. Each one of us at one time did not understand God or know God. So we were in darkness. But now you are in the light of the eternal. Walk as children of light. You have a responsibility. You have that. That is your responsibility to walk. The walk and talk, the talk and study, the study. And prove God's Word. Because God's going to hold you responsible. And if you take it lightly, you know there in verse 6, he said, the wrath that comes on the rest of the world will be on your neck too. So, how are you going to deal with it? Back there in Jeremiah 6 now, verse Back to 13 again. For from the least of them even to the greatest of them, one is given to covetousness. And from the prophet even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. So he puts this not only on the government, but on the teachers. People teach falsely. They have... Healed also the hurt of the daughters of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Do we have peace in this world today? Are we at peace? No, we have wars and rumors of wars all over the place. Let's go to James 4. and Mostly going through James 4 because it's for us. Mr. Armstrong wrote, and a lot of times, I know I remember him saying for years at the Feast of Tabernacles and on the the radio and stuff, you don't get it. You don't see it. How many of us sat back to say, see what? Well, Mr. Armstrong kept telling us, we... To study, prove it, search it out. But we didn't. Here in James 4, verse 1. From whence comes wars and fightings among you? Why is this world in such a chaotic problem? Why do we have problems in the church? Why did the church fall apart? Why is this nation falling apart? We have three different uh, groups of people in our government. You know, the, We have the Tea Partiers who just started, and we have the Democrats and Republicans, and they fight among themselves. And God asks the question here in James, why do we fight? Why are we having all these difficulties? Do they, because they come... Not hence even of your lusts? So here's the problem. Why mankind can never have utopia or issue in utopia. Because we have lust. We want and want and want and want. And we'll take whatever anybody will give to us. And we'll take it even if they don't give it to us. Because we want it. Because of your lust that war in your members. The desire that our body can never be completely taken care of. John warns the church in 1 John. Keep your finger there in James 4. In John, 1 John 4, John is warning the church. He says, love not the world. A great emphasis. Don't put your love and trust in this world. It's only temporary. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If a man loved the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Lust causes you to love the things that are here. Whether it be a, a 48 or 56 or maybe an 8 foot television screen if they make them. Brand new cars or trucks. Beautiful homes. I mean, look at all the gadgets that's sitting out here today for you to pull you away from God. God allows those things. But here, He's calling to each one of us and saying, be careful. If you're so involved with the things that's in this world, you don't have the love of the Father. For all that's in the world... He points it points out, everything that 's in the world is summed up in three things: the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, and all of that is not of the Father, but it's the world. And so you have this stuff thrown at you constantly, don't you? It's always there. What's more important? Go to town. Or study. How many times has Daryl said, you need to spend more time studying, meditating, fasting, praying, seeking your Father, doing what He wants you to do? How many times in the, in the past 11 years have we heard that? Sometimes maybe it sounds like a broken record. How close are you to your Father is what he's saying. Lust of the flesh in First Peter 2.11 Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts. Again, Peter is saying based on the information that God gave to him to abstain. Stay away from those things. It's hard, isn't it? We live in a society that has all kinds of Motivations or ways to get into your mind. Television, radio, TV, I mean, uh, movies, uh, ads in magazines, and just being around people. Going into the stores. You know, you go into a, to Walmart and you notice they'll put stands in certain places to attract your attention. Man, you need to have this. Or if you don't have it, why, why don't you have it? To abstain from fleshy lust with war against your soul, war against your spirit. They try to pull you away to entertain. We live in an entertainment society. First Corinthians 10, verse 1. First Corinthians 10, 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat. He's talking about our forefathers who had Christ right there with them. They had the same spiritual meat and did drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of the rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. No matter what people say, the Scriptures point out that Christ was the God that was there with them in that cloud, that led them, that taught them. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. And now these things... That happened to the people. The Scriptures are there as examples to us, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So, He says, God says, the problem with Israel, the problem with Israel today, the problem with the church, is that we have this burning desire that we can't fill. We want to see more. We want to be more of it. We want to have more. We want our flesh to be helped. And these people died because they didn't trust God. And they become idolaters, didn't they? you have the lust of the eyes. Remember Genesis? The very first thing that happened back in Genesis... When Halel, or the devil, came and posed this to Eve in Genesis 3 and verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good. Why did she even think about looking at it? She had little help, didn't she? There she had Satan pushing her. We have a lot of help. We can go to the grocery store. We can go to Walmart. We can go to Costco. We can go to uh, big lots or some of the electronic stores like Fry's down in Las Vegas. Or even go to Las Vegas. When we have something that will attract you away from that? Pull your eyes away from God into taking care of this, taking care of me. So she looked out there because she was Enticed. She was put in front of her. she had something there saying, "Look at this, so she looked at the tree and saw that it was uh, that it was good for food. oh that looked pretty good, and that it was pleasant to the eyes so hey it didn't it's great. I can see it, it was great and the tree uh, and A tree to be desired to make one wise, you know, gonna make me something. We have all those things for us also attacking us. Christ said, You think you have a problem? He said He's done everything that you have. He's been enticed every way you have. His eyes were caused to desire. He was caused to want to take care of His flesh. So you're not alone. You and Go into Hebrews 11 and read about all those that went through the same problems that each one of us goes through. It's there. God has put this in front of you. And it's, you know, it's, what... Israel did is an example of how God took care of them, didn't he? They all died. Everyone that was over 20 years old didn't get out of the desert alive. Because they wanted what they couldn't have. And they were not willing to trust God for their life. So she saw it was good for food and desired. uh, The tree was desired to make one wise. And she took the fruit. And did eat and gave it to her husband, who was watching to see if she died. didn't, so he took it too. But it's a sad state of affairs, isn't it? That we can allow Satan somehow to get into your mind and steal your dream. And that's what this stuff is out here. It's out there to destroy your dream. You can read in Jeremiah I mean, not Jeremiah, Joshua 7. You can read Joshua seven twenty through 24 about A- uh, Achan. When Jericho fell, Achan saw something that he wanted. It wasn't his. He lusted after it. He took it. And what happened? Not only did Achan die, but Achan's sons... And daughters, and animals, and everything he had died. Because he lusted. He had to have these things. And he lusted for money. You know, money was a big deal. Silver and gold, that's money. Maybe not to each one of us, where dollar bills are money to us. But to him, this is what he wanted. And He caused His whole family to die. As parents, as husband and wife, are we going to cause our family to die because we have to be satisfied by not following God and putting more time and effort into studying and finding His way. How about the pride of life? You know, that's the third thing. Pride. I'm the greatest. In Proverbs 16, verse 18, God tells us that pride goes before destruction. You find somebody that really thinks he's the greatest person. That's pride. I know more. I do more. I can do more. I am the greatest. Be careful, because pride comes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. If you think you're better than anybody else. Be careful. There's only one Creator God, and His Son that have the answers, and they are not boastful or prideful in the wrong way, where we are. Proverbs eight thirteen. The fear of the eternal is to hate evil. That's what fear runs in. If you really hate the evil of this world, that's true fear of God. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the forward mouth, God says, I hate that. you want to be hated by God? Let that be your part. Let that be your pride. Proverbs 11, verse 2. When pride comes, then comes shame. You might think, well, I'm the greatest. But, you know, in my life I've seen people who I thought were relatively knowledgeable and I see them make the same mistakes as anybody else, as another human being, Maybe not in their expertise, but when it comes down to general living, their pride brings them to shame. And goes around sometimes, comes around. So if you think that you're great and you put somebody else down, your pride will bring you to shame. But with the lowly is wisdom. So those that are humble and lowly comes wisdom. Again, in Proverbs twenty-nine, twenty-three, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. So, if you're truly seeking God, truly being humble and truthful and trying to find God's way of life, then you're going to have honor, godly honor. Obadiah. 3 and 4. Obadiah 3 and 4. This is only one chapter, verse 3 and 4. The pride of your heart has deceived you. So when we have pride, we're deceiving ourselves, God's saying. You have dwelled in the cliffs of the rocks whose habitation is high. That says to the heart... Who shall bring me down to the ground? A prideful person sits up there and thinks, I'm the greatest. Who can bring me down? And though you exalt yourself as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, hence will you bring you down, said God. God's going to stop all that stuff. Let's go back to James now. Back to James 4. See if we can't get through all of James 4 here. James 4, verse 2. You lust and have not. So we have all these desires. And you know, one thing you can't buy is love. <clears throat> oh, I remember going to a uh, was a uh, pro you know program where they try to sell you the business. The guy says Money can get you anything. It can get you love. Can it? Can it get you real love? No. It can get you temporary love because those people that love you love your money. Or they love your power. They love what you can give them. But when you take that away, they walk away. They drop you. You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war and yet you have not. Because we didn't ask God for it. We want it for ourselves. We can show how how great I am. I mean, I've got all these things. You take our government. You think the president can't get what he wants? You think the government can't change records? You think the government can't annihilate somebody? Or is the one program they used to have on TV called Eraser? That they can erase you? You can just totally be erased. That means they have the capability to go into all the records that are around and you will never be thought of because you haven't been. They can erase every record of you that ever existed. They have that capability. But if you ask God for your help and strength, you will be somebody important one day. You will be a God, important in the aspect that you will be used by God to usher in to people, the God family, and total utopia. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss. You ask it for the wrong reasons. It goes on. It says there because you ask him this that you may consume it upon your own lust. So a lot of times, what we want, we're asking and not thinking. Why am I wanting this? What is the right question? What should I ask for? Solomon did what? He didn't ask for gold. He didn't ask for silver. He didn't ask for power and might, and good looks, and a lot of people to follow him. So, Solomon asked for what? Wisdom, and the ability to teach God's people his way. That's what Solomon wanted. And God gave him everything that most people would ask for. You know, sometimes we look out there and say, if we could only win the lottery. Let me tell you, if God really loves you, He's not going to let you win the lottery. (laughs) Won't let you. Because everybody that's won a lottery has corrupted themselves somewhere down the line. And most of them blew it within the first year or two that they have received it. They spend it on their wrong things. They spend it on their own desires. Or they just blow it because they don't know how to utilize it. So will God let you have that? Money will corrupt you. Money will pull you away from God. So we ask for these things, but we ask it for our own lust. So we ask, I want to win a million dollars. I want to win the lottery. I'll go to Vegas and maybe hit the jackpot. Why? What would be the first thing you do? Better your own life, wouldn't you? You think of yourself first. So God doesn't want you to think of yourself. You adulterers and adulteresses, this doesn't mean necessarily sex things. It means adulterating or changing or perverting everything that God's given to you. That's adulterating. You can adulterate food by putting poison in it. Or by just taking out the good stuff. And you, know, you can adulterate your body by putting on the wrong clothes. You can adulterate anything. Your mind, specifically, if you try to get more lust in things. So, you adulterer and adulteresses know you not that the friendship of the world is enemy with God. So if we adulterate our spiritual living with being close to the world, we make ourselves an enemy of God. And it's easy to get corrupted in the wrong direction. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the Scripture said in vain The spirit that dwells in you or dwells in us lust for envy envy? Scriptures are true. They say that spirit, that human nature, not God's spirit, but our human nature. Lust to envy because you want it. You you see somebody else gets a brand new house, brand new car, brand new boat, what brand new airplane, whatever it is, brand new TV. You begin to envy those people. Why is it that I'm out here in the desert and I don't have anything? Why am I down? Why can't I have more and more and more? Because we want to fill the flesh. But God has got something better in mind for you. You know, in Jeremiah 17:9 says, the heart, so that's that attitude, that human nature, is deceitful above all things. Your mind, your spirit is deceitful. It can lead you astray. And it's desperately wicked. Look at society. Look at the killings and the hatred and all that goes on out there. Who can know your mind? You can if you stay close to god verse 6 of james but he gives more grace wherefore he said or god says resist the proud or god uh, wherefore he said god resist the proud but gives grace to the humble so he wants you to bend your knees get down and say yes Father, yes, sir. Yes, Christ. To be like David who thought, who meditated, who looked at, who studied God's way of life. And then God can maybe say to you, you're a person after God's own heart. Submit yourself there to God. Resist the devil. Devil's temptations. Remember what he did to Eve. Somehow he was able to make Eve look at that tree, do whatever he had to say. And, you know, he built it big. And Eve was able to look at that tree and say, yeah, that's something I need to have. Satan can twist things to make it look spectacular. But it's not. It's really not. So he says to resist Satan and all the temptations that he sends at you. And once you put God first in your life, Satan will leave you. Draw close to God and He will draw close to you. Draw close to God. We are told to buy back the time. Time is short. We need to keep our minds toward God. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. That means to come out of the world. Revelation 18.4 and a number of other places and throughout all what Christ had to say in his Gospels, come out of this world because it will literally pull you down and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Sometimes we sit out there with that. We have one mind in this world and one mind in God. We're kind of like we're walking down a razor-sharp fence. We've got one foot on one side and one on the other, and all of a sudden we hit a hole. You don't want to be in that hole. You don't want to be stretched across a razor-sharp electrified fence because it will get you. So we don't have a double mind. You have to become single-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Because we ought to put the things of man out and stay close to God. Humble yourselves in the sight of the eternal. Humble yourself to God and He shall lift you up. When we become totally humble, we're going to be... There, without that problem with Satan around. Speak not evil one to another. He that speaks evil to his brother judges his brother and speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Matthew tells us, Matthew 7 Tells us not to judge a brother or sister. So said, look into your own life. Judge yourself based on Christ. This is the mirror. God's Word. Judge yourself. If you judge other people, then you're a judge. And how can you judge other people? How can you take and go out there and see a brother or a sister in Christ and say, you have this major problem, when you yourself have a bigger problem. So it's hard, it's difficult to go out and look down and put somebody else down based on your opinion or based on your knowledge. We all have the knowledge of God, but we have other knowledge that we obtained. And nobody's going to do the same thing You might be the greatest cook, and somebody else can barely cook water without burning it. (laughs) But you might be, if you burn water, you might be better at something else than they are. So do you judge your brother because they can't do something that you can do? You have to be careful. God is the judge. God knows what we can do. Verse 12 of James 4. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you that judge another person? It is, God is saying, I am the only one, or Christ and the Father are the only ones that can look down and see and judge a person. We can only judge based on our knowledge and our life and our past and all that. We can't look at another person and know what's up in his head. But we do that too often. We judge each other based on our knowledge and our way and what we can do and that they can't do it like I do it. My wife... Constantly says there's more than one way to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. There's a lot of ways to do things that come out with the same results. So, to judge another person is the wrong thing to do. Go to now, you that say today or tomorrow we will go to such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get great gains. I was just told this week uh, some people that I knew over here in Leeds a lot younger than I am old hippies you know, they were come up in the 60's coming back from Salt Lake one will come back and one is not so how can you say I'm going to do this this week they had plans to Do a lot of things. But those plans ended really quick. It's only a moment in time. This life can disappear. So we can make plans and we can think I'm going to do this and but you can't guarantee it. So buy back the time that you have. Buy back it and strive to do it God's way. Because maybe if you are double minded or you're more tied to the world and to God. What will happen if all of a sudden this life is no longer here? You can't change it. Anything that you've done in the grave, this is the time to change. This is the time to make your life right with God. Whereas you know not whether you shall uh, what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? Is even a vapor that... Appears for a little time and vanishes away. We have a short period of time. I know before the flood they had a chance. Adam and Eve had a chance to live 7,000 years. They blew it. They didn't even live a 1,000 years. God says, in the day that you go contrary to me, you will die. Talking of a prophetical day. A thousand year period. Did they live a thousand years? No. Did they understand when they broke the law that that would happen? No, because otherwise Adam wouldn't have eaten the fruit from that tree. Adam let his wife eat it. And she lived. He didn't understand no more than the church understands some of the things that God has revealed to us. We understand because God's made it available to us. So what is your life? A vapor? How much time do you have? Will you be around tomorrow or next week? I want all of us, I really desire all of us to be there to build a temple. Can I say I'll be there? I've done some pretty dangerous things this past. I've worked around dangerous things this past week. I've been down in a, in a cave. Who's to say it would collapse? I thought about that more than once. How would you get out if you're caught in the center, or if it collapsed on you? And I did have one spot where some dirt collapsed on me, only caught my leg. But it happens quick. So will we be around? How much life do you have? For that you ought to say, if, verse 15, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. If it is God's will for us to be there and build the temple, we will be there if we put our heart to it. Unless we become double-minded, right? Unless we put the world before God. Therefore, to him that knows to do good, when you know to do good, and don't and doesn't do and does it not, to him it is sin. So, if you know what is right, if you know how you should act, and it's been preached from this lectern for the past ten years, eleven years now, being preached. You've been told what's right, and you don't do it. And it's been told you, then you're sinning. And it says it right here, Therefore to him that knows to do good, and does it not, it is sin. That's not my words, or Daryl's words, or Gordon's words. That's God's Word. God says that. The Father says that. You know, God is working and starting small, it always has. Mr. Armstrong said that. We say that here. God's starting small, but he's going to wind up big. And he's starting with a small group. And he's given you and me that opportunity to maybe be a part of that group. If we want to. If we want to live in unity, if we want to be a part of what God is doing. Here's what we need to do. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verse 31 and 32. Let all bitterness... Do we have a problem with each other? Do we have somebody we don't like for some reason or other? Not only in the church, but even outside the church. He says, let all bitterness... And that means to the government of this country... To the government of the state, the government of the county, the government of the city, the government in the church. You know, search your heart. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Put it out of your life. You don't have time to wait till next week. You don't have time to wait till tomorrow. You got to start right now, and be you kind one to another. Kind, loving, kind, tender-hearted, forgiving each other. Hard, isn't it? Hard to say somebody let them slap you on the cheek and turn the other cheek and say hit that one too. You know. We want to find excuses. Remember, Christ told the apostles, you forgive them as much as seven, uh, 470 times every day. As long as they ask you to help and forgive them and they're trying, forgive them. So here he says, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ, God, for Christ's sake, forgives you. When Christ walked this earth, there wasn't one converted human being. And He died for the world. He died for those that lived before Him and those that lived after Him and for you and for me. He even died for our President. He even died for those in His Cabinet and those that would go out there and assassinate somebody because they got an order to do that. Christ died for them too. And they're going to have to wait till the general resurrection of all the people before they learn what they did wasn't right. And then they're going to be given the opportunity to make those changes. And be you kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving each other. Ephesians six verse twelve. Ephesians six twelve. So our life is really a struggle. He says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Neither did Adam and Eve, or Moses, or David, or any other person. We wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We wrestle with Satan who is constantly out there looking for a way. Us, more than the general world. He doesn't want you to be a part of God's way of life. You have to understand that. Satan does not want you around. He wants to get rid of you. And so he's got a world who sits out there and says, we can bring utopia. We can bring a one-world government. Will it have peace? Will it actually be utopia? Can it be utopia? Can they give peace to this world? When they are corrupt in their thinking, when they have denied God, And all that God does, even look at this country. Could you think that this country could be a utopia when there are between 15 and 20 different religious groups who fight with each other because my group has got to be better than your group and my knowledge and my ways are a whole lot better than your ways? What is that? Is that utopia? Can man bring world peace? Can man with that, plus the governments? you know, How would you go to the head of North Korea and tell him, which we've been trying, that the American way is better than any other way? Does he believe that? Or how about Iran and their leader who says, We've got to have a nuclear bomb so we can protect ourselves. Does he believe that the United States, the American people, is a better way of life than his way? Or any other place in this world? whether it be an African tribe or an Indian tribe or the Chinese or the Americans or the French or the Germans, you know? Can we, as human beings, ever bring real peace? No, we can't. Not as long as we are opposed to God, opposed to giving and helping, and even for us as individuals here. As long as we are not willing to love each other, overlook problems, be willing to say, I love you, not in word, but in deed. I love you by willing to bend over backward and to put you before me. As long as it is for me and my way and my flesh and is going to better me, then we get along. No, that's not God's way. As long as we're human and have the physical ties, to this world, we cannot, even inside the church, even inside our little group, because we can see the church cannot even become close together. Men who went to school together, taught together, been to the feast together, cannot get along with each other. Because my way is better than yours. As long as we have put God out of our life. And He's told us there, as long as we are divided, as long as we look at ourselves more than the other person, as long as we judge somebody else based on my knowledge and my understanding, we can never get along. But God wants from us, our little group, is to have so much love Indeed, in giving, in sharing, in helping, and bending over backward and doing it God's way, and not judge each other. So, can the world have unity? Yes. Can men bring unity to this world and peace and abundant living? No, they cannot. The world can be. A world of peace and unity under God, not under man.